Well, um, so today we are going to continue in uh, the ABF of Christian fellowship, building the bond of unity. And over the last six weeks, we've learned the importance of living as a church. And each week we've seen this common thread uh, that should mark the church. And for, for those of us who have been here each week, what has that common thread been? Unity. Yes, so we've had this common thread of unity. Uh, we've looked at unity as a display of God's glory. Uh, we've looked at how preaching and prayer are uh, the foundation of unity. Then last week we learned um, the importance of biblical church governance and how it helps to foster uh, unity in the church, that it's like a piston that you you know when it's not there. And so um, church governance will help foster that in um, that aspect of unity. So as we think about fellowship, there are a lot of places where we experience fellowship. Um, being football season, as we were talking about just a little bit ago, maybe some of you have been tailgating or been watching games and experienced uh, fellowship around a game or a sport, um, or if you're in school, maybe it's around a subject or um, experience around a major or a hobby or interest. There's a lot of different ways that we have fellowship with others. But what really counts as fellowship? Uh, does fellowship happen every time there's a group of people together? Or does fellowship occur when Christian is with another Christian? Or maybe it's because we're in a room called the Fellowship Hall. Is that why we experience fellowship? Um, fellowship is not fundamentally a set of activities, although activities may give an opportunity to experience fellowship. Uh, biblically speaking, what counts as fellowship? So to answer that question, I want us to see in the New Testament... Um, how it uses the word fellowship. And we'll see that fellowship appears in a variety of ways and context. Um, and I want to look, uh, I want to start by looking at 1 John and looking at verse 1 through 10. As you turn there, the Apostle John is writing to people who've been turning away from fellowship with Christ and turning to fellowship of false teaching. John writes to make clear what true fellowship looks like and how the readers understand the basis of true fellowship and describes how fellowship is experienced. So if you're there, I'm going to go ahead and begin to read for us. Starting in 1 John 1 verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it to proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen, which we have heard, which we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship 
is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and there is no darkness in Him at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from our sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. So this word fellowship appears a few times uh, in verse 3 and in verses 6 and 7. It's the word koinonia. And in other uh, areas it's translated uh, as well here, parts of Scripture of partnership and sharing, uh, communion or participation. And so the very baseline as we think about fellowship is that fellowship is this shared life with the Father and the Son. So verse 3, it says that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. So this fellowship is shared life with God, the Father, and the Son. So sometimes this word koinonia is used to explain the relationship between us and the Lord. But also, and it is also true of Christian fellowship when, it, when, it's, a, when it's branched off of the Lord. So we see in uh, John 15, 1 through 10, where it talks about, I am the vine and you are the branches, whoever abides in me. Um, well, this, this idea that our union with Jesus is both the root and the fruit of spiritual fellowship. And so as we think about this baseline of what is, what is you know, biblical fellowship, well, first of all, it's shared life with God the Father and the Son. But then also, it's, we see this in verse uh, 7, that it's shared life relationally in the church. So fellowship of early church consisted of unity of doctrine, of belief, of direction, and through right doctrine, they would experience fellowship as they walked in the light. So we also see this uh, come and, and is talked about in Acts chapter 2, which is probably the most used when we talk about fellowship. Uh, Acts 2.42 says that the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So that leads us to this question of what makes Christian fellowship different from worldly fellowship? And I'd love to hear your, your thoughts. What makes Christian fellowship different from worldly fellowship or relationships? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's also a picture of who he is. Absolutely. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit together, yet they're distinctly different. Mm. And they're together. And then, of course, if we're a reflection of that, then 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously Christ is at the center of that. Um, and so what makes Christian fellowship distinctly different is Christ. And um, based on this Christ-like love. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk a lot about today is Christ-like love. So with the rest of our time, I want to look at kind of two things of what, is, what characterizes healthy relationships in the church and what do relationships look like in a spiritual community that is a supernatural spiritual community. So as we look at what characterizes um, uh, healthy relationships in the church, I want us to consider um, that this is both simple and profound, that uh, the answer to that, what characterizes, is love. It's simple and profound. In a word, Christ-like love is what makes our fellowship distinct from every other community. Um, John 13, verses 34 and 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, by the way, or if you love one another. So what is it that makes this a new commandment? Well, um, it's a call to love one another. In, or in other words, love those who God has brought near by the blood of Christ. Um, love is distinguishing mark of a disciple of Christ. Uh, but this new command, actually, it goes on to deepen the Mosaic command that we see in Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 6. So Jesus' example of, of teaching deepens the love aspect of it. The command to love your neighbor was not new, but the newness came uh, and was found by the way that Jesus loved us. Jesus is calling for a, a higher degree of love. And he gives us that perfect example. Think about the context of who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the disciples coming from different walks of life, different personalities, um, maybe different temperaments among each other. Um, but here's the thing that I think is so cool that when Jesus is talking to them, he gives them the example, but he also goes on to talk about the impact uh, in verse 35, he says, by, all this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by the way, or if you love one another. So this kind of love is actually a powerful witness to the world that the way that we love will show the watching world the way that Christ loved us. So why, why is love so important? Well, first of all, God is glorified when we love across um, society's boundaries or societal boundaries. So when people who have little, little or nothing in common, uh, but Christ lived together in genuine community, this speaks to Christ's love and gives him glory. This is what Paul is so excited about in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, where people were previously clashing, uh, Jews and Gentiles are now 
unified into one church family. So this super supernatural reconciliation actually glorifies God. And so think about it. Why does God showcase his glory to the world through our love in the church? Well, it's because our love models, if only in a, a small reflection, it models our love in the triune God. You touched on this a few minutes ago. Just the, the way that uh, this is exactly what Jesus prayed for in John 17, that the glory you have given me, I have given them. This is John 17, verse 22 and 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfect, perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. So our love for each other, rooted in Christ, is a picture of the love and the unity of the triune Godhead. That when we love well, it is a picture, a reflection of that. So as we think about this overview of love, a key uh, aspect of our Christian fellowship is love. And so I want to spend a few moments thinking about what love involves. Um, love is such a common word that we use daily. <clears throat> so I want to make sure that it, it doesn't become meaningless and that we use it with in, intentionality. <clears throat> Jonathan Edwards said this uh, simple definition uh, that I think can be helpful, that love is a disposition or affection by which one is dear <clears throat> one is dear to another. That is this disposition or affection by which one is dear to another. So as Christians, we are dear to one another because what God has done and what he has saved us from. Well, being God's child involves what God loves. Well, uh, we are dear to God. So God loves the church so much that he purchased it with his son. So <clears throat> this uh, so God loves his love models for us that it's not merely a, an emotion or a feeling, it's a disposition towards one another that expresses itself in action. So we don't just say we love, we actually show it. And that brings the person's ultimate good. So that's what love is. I want to notice a few different things. First of all, love is hard. <clears throat> and we're all kind of shaking our head like, yes, love is hard. Um, love begins with our hearts, and our hearts are usually the hardest place because we are all sinners. And we have so many uh, exhortations in the New Testament that talk about the way that we love each other. And we need to hear this again and again and again because we so often forget. Uh, in our flesh, we prefer, prefer to have easy conversations or, you know, to just do what is easy for us. Um, we prefer to be relaxed and not maybe serving. We prefer to meet our needs rather than give up our preferences. Uh, and people were... Uh, the people we're called to do to serve are also sinners. So 
that makes it even harder. When you have uh, two people that are looking out for their own good, that are both sinful, uh, or maybe that they are... Um, have let us down or maybe someone says awkward things or insensitive things or maybe someone just resists our counsel or we've done the same. Um, it just makes us appreciate what Christ has done for us and how he is merciful to us because we do the same thing. And so the second point here is that while Christian love can be difficult, we can show such love because of God's grace. We love because what? John, 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. So what does this mean? Is it a kind of a quid pro quo of like, well, he invited me over for dinner, so now I have to invite him over for dinner, or, you know, he did this, so I have to do that. No, it means our ability to love comes from God's love for us. So it's not something that we you know, muster up the love inside of us and then go, you know, love someone. Um, God is both the source and he is the model for our love. He loves us and now that he abides in us, um, we are able to love. Uh, Jonathan Edwards also says this. He said, it is from the beginnings of the Holy Spirit that the Christian's love arises both towards God and men. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of love, and therefore when the Spirit of God enters into the soul, love enters. God is love. And he who has God dwelling in him by his Spirit will have love dwelling in him. So the only way that we are able to love is because God first loved us. This is the greatest way. His love is in us, is giving us, and he has given us the Holy Spirit um, and his only son that we may not perish but have everlasting life. We see this in John, 1 John 3.16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So the more that we appreciate the magnitude of what has been done for us, um, and for the love that Christ has shown us by dying for our sins, the more we will be characterized by love and joyfully present ourselves and our lives to God as a living sacrifice. So we are able to love only because God, through Christ, first loved us. But this love also brings great joy. So it's not only hard for sinners to love, it's supremely worth it. Loving others does not just do them good. It brings us the satisfaction we were created for. In Psalm 133, it says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. And if you have experienced that, you can testify to that. If you have lived together in love in the context of the local church, then you, have, um, you can testify to that. Are there any questions so far as just as we talk about uh, love in the context of fellowship? Okay.
Well, what does loving fellowship look like? We'll keep these uh, some important principles in mind. I want to spend the rest of our time looking at uh, and considering how we can fulfill this command to love one another in the church. When our fellowship is marked by Christ, for like by Christ-like love, what kind of fellowship will it be? Well, we're going to identify six aspects of Christian fellowship. So first, we're going to see that fellowship in diversity, that love seeks understanding. We know that Christ, his body, is one body made up of many diverse parts. This theme of diversity is throughout all of Scripture. Um, and in 1 Corinthians 1.3, we see that Paul addressed the Corinthians, uh, the cliques and factions, by asking, is Christ divided? And the answer, of course, we can answer with a resounding no. Christ um, is one, and so his body is to be one. So Christ's fellowship and the church's fellowship is to be unique because it involves a diverse assortment of people that are all united through Christ. So what does it mean uh, for us, for our relationships in the church? Well, part of that is means that we seek to understand those who are different than us. The church is a community where fellowship means that each and every member have the same concern and love for those of the body. So love reaches out to those who are different from you. The gospel does the, the same. Love reaches out to those who are different from you, those who are dear to you because of the gospel and seeks to understand their hopes, their dreams, their struggles, their sins, their backgrounds, uh, their battles. It seeks, to, uh, seeks reconciliation where maybe there has been alienation. Um, it seeks friendship where the world has maybe drawn lines. So this is what we see in, in James 2, and he's so... Uh, adamant that we should not show per personal favoritism. That's why Paul in Romans 12 or 16 says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate uh, with people of low position. So a community where people put the effort, make a real uh, substantive friendship where people are different from different cultural backgrounds who aren't in the same age range or anything different stages of life where they're all living in fellowship together. And so just by point of application, just thinking in your own life, um, how often do you have meaningful contact with someone who's in a different stage of life or who is different than you? And sometimes it can take us a second to think about, um, but I want to encourage you, if that's not often, to, to look to establish relationships with folks that are in different stages of life or that are different than you. So if you're, you know, retired, maybe there's a young couple that you can invest in. Um, or I would encourage you to have meaningful spiritual conversations this week with someone who's in a different stage of life than you or maybe looks different than you. Um, you know, it's been said that one of the most segregated uh, places today is the pew, but also the dinner table. 
And so what would it look like for you to have someone into your home around the dinner table that maybe doesn't share uh, your same views or maybe looks different or is in different stages of life? And I think God is glorified when we do this. If we are truly one body baptized by one spirit, then our fellowship should reflect this cross-barrier unity that we are together living life with folks that are from different backgrounds or socioeconomic statuses or whatever it may be, that we would be intentional about crossing those barriers um, for God's glory. But also fellowship and service, that love uh, requires sacrifice. But, but before we go there, I actually want to think for a second what is it that makes pursuing these diverse relationships difficult? Yeah, maybe scared of what are we going to talk about? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Taking time. Um, you know, for me, sometimes just saying something stupid. You know, fearful that I'm going to put my foot in my mouth somehow. Yeah. Um, you know, it takes effort. And so um, just to recognize that uh, the importance and the value in doing this is that it actually glorifies God uh, when the, the watching world can look and see a diverse group of folks that are united around the person of Christ and unified through him. Um, so, number two, fellowship of service. Love requires sacrifice. And our fellowship should be characterized by sacrificial love. It is a community of those who come together not to be served, but to serve. So we see this in 1 John 4, verse 10 and 11, which says this. It says, in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought to love one another. So one way we can do this is by caring for each other's burdens. Um, Galatians 6, 6, 6 says, uh, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Notice the, uh, the assumption that lies in this command that we all have burdens, that we all um, have burdens, and God does not mean for us to carry them on our own. Um, this does not stop us from, from trying. I know personally I try to just say I don't need help. I can handle this on my own. Uh, maybe there are others in here like that. But Scripture is clear that we can cast our, our burdens and our cares on Christ See this in Psalm 55 or Matthew 11. But one of the ways in which 
he bears these burdens is through his church and through human fellowship. But, but look at what, uh, where Paul takes it. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, um, this law of Christ is to love one another as he loved us. John 13, 34. Uh, and this is fascinating that, that we can love your neighbor, bear one another's burdens, and fulfill the law are all equally equivalent. That loving your neighbor, bearing one another's burdens, fulfills the law to love your neighbor. But this, uh, but what does this look like? What does it look like to carry someone's burdens? Well, it may mean providing meals to someone uh, who's who's sick or taking groceries to them. It could um, certainly look like volunteering in the church of of helping in childcare or doing sound or doing hospitality. UBC has many ministries in place that can certainly help care uh, in bearing burdens. But let me encourage you not to ignore the personal relationship side of things that often take place when you know or are living in community, you're living in close fellowship with those around you that that is the best way to know and to walk with folks in their burdens is to know personally what they're going through. Um, so when you see someone with a heavy burden or on his heart or on his mind, come alongside them and share in that burden so we can share um, in those burden, burdens as we uh, fellowship in service. But three, we fellowship in truth. Love leads to holiness. So a third Christian uh, in a, a Christian church is a fellowship in truth. Unlike any other communities, we are marked by an unusual uh, personal transparency and bold honest, honest, excuse me, bold honesty as we speak the truth of Scripture to each other. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them, that is, make them holy or more pure, in the truth. Your word is truth. Or in Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach in admonishing one another in wisdom. So, first of all, I want to kind of look at this idea of transparency that we would be telling the difficult truth about yourself, right? That's what transparency is, telling the difficult truth about yourself. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, this doesn't mean that you open up about your darkest struggle to every single member, but that you have members within the body that you're experiencing fellowship with, and that you can be open and transparent. Um, I kind of think of transparency as like shining a light on sin. That scripture is full of, full of examples of the incompatibility of light and darkness. And so Paul addresses some of these in Ephesians 4. Uh, we see in John 3, which uh, in verse 19 says, Everyone who does evil hates the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth, comes into the light that may see it plainly. 
And so just to, to the idea that we would be able to be transparent with those, that we would shine the light on our own sin so they can speak truth into our life. But a second aspect is proclamation. That is the telling of truth about God and his word at times, even when it is difficult to hear. So that that kind of goes hand in hand with transparency, that we would be able to speak truth, that we would proclaim truth into the lives of those we are fellowshipping with. This can in, include ordinary interactions, include discipleship relationships, just that we would be intentional about the way we speak, that it would be rooted in Scripture, that it wouldn't be just moral platitudes that I'm throwing out uh, but it would be rooted deep in Scripture as we try to encourage and strengthen those who we are doing life with. But then also, fellowship in forgiveness, that love extends mercy. So our fourth, our fellowship isn't only different because we of our willingness to tell the truth, but also because of our willingness to forgive and reconcile when fellowship has been broken. So we see this in Colossians 3, where it says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances that you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So he's, our, he's our prime example of forgiveness. We have been forgiven much, um, but this is usually not our instinct. We like to hold grudges. We like to uh, you know, get them back or pay in revenge, uh, but neither of these should take place in the church. Uh, God hasn't um, withdrawn from the person that he has adopted them into the family, and so we should love them as part of the family of God. Um, so how can, we how can we cultivate this posture of mercy? Knowing that people in the church will sin against us. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. We're all sinful. Um, and I think it's part of it is just recognize that one day we will dwell in heaven with that person. And so this should encourage us to look past some things and being uh, realize that one day we will be in perfect unity with them and no one will be sinning anymore. And so we can um, look past things and to, to give people the benefit of the doubt that they are seeking to follow Christ well too. But then fellowship of suffering, that love brings comfort. Uh, Christian fellowship is unique because the suffering doesn't pull our community apart, but it pulls it together. Um, we can see this in churches in persecution, that oftentimes this pulls and, and strengthens the church as they are being persecuted. Um, Jesus didn't um, didn't die in an easy life. He was persecuted, and we see after that that the church grew in numbers and in strength. And then fellowship, uh, number six, fellowship as one body. Love considers the whole. So the sixth aspect that we notice, we, we've been talking about loving uh, individual members, but also uh, the importance that we should love um, the congregation. So some ways that we could do that is first we can pray through the church directory, take a page or two each day, um, or do that in your, in your life group, 
Or second, be committed to make disciples so that, that they would go and make disciples. And so you're building up the whole congregation when you're doing that. Um, and then also, just one way you can do it is by attending members' meetings where you can show love to new members by affirming their testimony, their story, um, their profession of faith, and by uh, encouraging departing members that are maybe moving. And so what are some questions that we might have or that you might have as we have kind of considered uh, fellowship today? Yeah, you're including folks in the rhythms of life that you already do. So you're not adding something to the schedule. You're taking what you're already doing and including uh, folks into that and experiencing fellowship. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of puts them in perspective when the Lord is using those things for his glory that they would be reproduced again and again and again um that we we have to be intentional with that where it's not just going to happen on its own. Um, but to be able to sacrifice maybe a comfort and ease of a group that we've experienced deep fellowship with and it's become kind of easy, um, but then to uh, 
you know, maybe reproduce and have new people come into that group or form other groups where then you kind of have to redo it all over again. But, yeah, that's good. Well, let me pray for us, uh, and we will finish up. Heavenly Father, we are uh, just uh, extraordinarily grateful for the love that you have given, God, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that um, you were the first to take the step. And God, I pray that you would help us to love well in our fellowship. Uh, God, that we would love sacrificially, uh, that we would love for your glory, and that the watching world would see and know um, the way that we live and the way uh, that we love and that we love one another and that they would be pointed towards Christ because of that love um, and the uniqueness of it. God, we pray all these things in your heaven, in your in the precious Son, uh, precious name of Jesus. Amen.